0: What's up, fight fans? Welcome to all the fight fans around the world to episode number 135 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Before we get into news and notes, just want to remind you guys of my fee for this podcast. I do this podcast every week, maybe one or two weeks a year. We go on hiatus. But pretty much 50 weeks a year you're getting this podcast. Even during the dog days of summer when there aren't many big fights going on. I'm one of the few boxing podcasts that rain, snow, or shine. You guys are getting this every Monday night slash Tuesday morning depending on what part of the world you live. My fee is non-monetary. What I ask you guys to do is spread the word about my channel and about this show specifically. What I would like specifically from you guys this week to go to itunes even if you watch this show on youtube or, or maybe you listen to it on soundcloud or stitcher even if itunes isn't your thing i'm asking you guys to go to itunes this week and man you don't even have to leave a review just give a rating literally it takes one click one little motion of your finger click that's not even a full second a fraction of a second is what i'm asking for you guys now I have over 7,000 subscribers on YouTube right now. I have a certain amount on on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud and all that. And I can do the uh, reports and the analytics and I can see how many thousands of you are either streaming this or downloading it. You're listening to this show on one of the platforms. There's thousands of you guys every week. And right now I think I have 49 ratings on iTunes. So a lot of you guys could take one second of your time, one extra second from your life, one extra step, and go to iTunes, find the neutral corner, and just leave a quick rating. Click on the five, <clears throat> the five stars. I know maybe you're having a bad day, and you're just like, oh, I'll give them four stars. Oh, I'll give them three stars. Just click the five damn stars. It helps me out. Go to iTunes, click on the five stars. Give me that little rating. That helps me. It helps butt me up the list when people do searches of boxing podcasts. That's what I'm asking for you guys this week. That's the fee for episode number 135 in the neutral corner. And for those of you who want to contribute monetarily, please go to patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. Those of you who want to get a t-shirt, we sold a few more last week. Shoot me an email, MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com. All right, guys, that's it. Let's get into news and notes. So the big fight with the big boys was announced this weekend, as we all pretty much knew it would be over in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Deontay Wilder was there. There was all kinds of fight week shenanigans going on. He crashed the weigh-in for Tyson Fury and Francesco Pionetta. And uh, there was a chicken throwing incident at Nando's. I guess that's a chicken place over there in Belfast. I think it's a chain. I think they have a bunch of them. I actually tried to um, do a search for it on Google and I saw like a bunch of them popped up. So I think it's a chain, but apparently Billy Joe Saunders threw half a whole chicken (laughs) at Deontay Wilder uh, Friday night. And you guys who follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, even on Facebook, you saw me post video of it cause it's hilarious watching uh, Billy Joe Saunders run out of this restaurant and uh, Wilder and his crew chase him out. And uh, one of the guys, I don't know if it was Wilder or one of his boys, I think it was one of his boys fell down, slipped on the floor as they was running out. So I don't know if some of the chicken grease got in his sneakers, I don't know what happened, but it was just, <laughs> it was a circus, man. But we all knew what this whole thing was. It was really one long commercial to announce the fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. It's probably going to be Las Vegas. It's probably going to be November. I will do a rant video about the fight specifically breaking down my thoughts about it, uh, why it's happening. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And then some of the X's and O's and I'll give you guys my thoughts on the actual breakdown of the fight just my gut feel up front I do think it's going to be a more complex competitive fight than some people feel um but maybe not as as competitive as others feel so anyway I'll I'll talk more about that in a specific rant video just for that fight I'll say this much though real quick about it a lot of people I saw bitching on Twitter, particularly here in the States about, you know, oh, this fight sucks. I have no interest in it. I don't get it. I don't care. I'm not going to watch. Yeah. Look, it's not the Wilder Joshua fight, but all things considered, even this version of Tyson Fury is probably still Deontay Wilder's best opponent. And I know some of you out there, you know, you just, you wax poetic about Luis Ortiz. And you just, I don't know. There's a lot of Luis Ortiz fans that feel the guy's like a Hall of Famer or something. I still feel that he's, he proved his toughness and his skill set against Deontay Wilder. He won some rounds against him. He was probably winning the fight at the time of that stoppage, right? But uh, he couldn't finish him. And there's been plenty of other fighters that have won rounds against Deontay Wilder. I mean, Gerald Washington, Arthur Spielko, those guys. I think Duapas, Johan Duapas one round or two against Deontay Wilder. So I still feel that Tyson Fury is probably going to be Deontay Wilder's best opponent, all things considered, at least on paper. And there's a lot of people out there that completely, they, they mentally masturbate over this whole lineal champion thing, even though that lineage was broken in 2015. You know, I, well, 2016, maybe when, when uh, you know, Tyson Fury, yes, he got the W over Vladimir Klitschko. I will talk more about that fight in my rant video and some of the behind the scenes stuff going on that the media really won't talk about because Klitschko's people have asked the media to keep it hush. Really, it's Hayden Panettiere's people because they want to bring her back as, you know, America's sweetheart for future acting endeavors. That's how that industry works. But um, Fury got the W, fine. But it was immediately perverted with performance enhancing well, there was performance enhancing drugs before he ever fought Klitschko, he found out. And then that whole thing was just completely screwed up the way it was handled by UCAD, the testing authority over there in the UK. And then there was the cocaine, there was the boozing, there was all this shit. Dude didn't fight for two years, basically. He's not the lineal champion anymore. He's not. But a lot of fans out there mentally masturbate over the whole lineage thing and they're going to look at it like this is the fight for the Lineal Heavyweight Championship and that's the way they're already branding it. Those of you who were watching Saturday, you saw that that's how they were branding the fight. This is for the WBC and Lineal Heavyweight Championship and there's going to be people spinning this as the two best heavyweights in the world. Uh, I don't particularly think that's what it is, but all things considered. I do think it is one of the better heavyweight fights we can have right now. Let's face it, this is probably going to be Wilder's best opponent. This is going to be Tyson Fury's second best opponent. And considering the state Vladimir Klitschko was in when Fury fought him, all things considered, this might be Tyson Fury's best opponent. So again, this is one of the better heavyweight matchups we can get right now. So for everybody bitching about it, this is, this is a pretty nice surprise, a nice consolation prize, even if it is a cash out from Team Fury or just a brand building exercise with Team Wilder, taking it to Vegas to up the dollars so they could go back to Eddie Hearn and say, look what we just did, pay-per-view in America, Vegas. We brought in some British whales and built up our brand over in the UK by dispatching of your boy Fury. You know, I mean, there's definitely some business happening here, but what other fight do you want? Did you, would you rather see Wilder Brazil? Would you rather see Wilder White? I like a Wilder White bout, don't get me wrong, especially in the UK. But I still think Wilder Fury is a pretty damn good consolation prize. So I will rant more about that in a video later this week, all right? But I just wanted to get it out there, give you guys some of my initial thoughts. Stop bitching. It's still two of the top 10 heavyweights in the world fighting each other. And these guys are undefeated. So, I, some of you guys will bitch about anything, I swear to God. All right, 30-day weigh-ins for Gennady Golovkin, Saul Alvarez. Golovkin comes in 168 and some change. Canelo comes in 167 and some change. Remember, I don't know, a couple weeks back. It just might even go back a little further than that, a month or so back, when they were shooting some promos, HBO was. And there were some pictures of both guys with their shirts off. And both of them looked a little soft, but particularly Gennady Golovkin. He looked a little soft in the tummy. And then uh, Joe Joyce, the UK heavyweight who's over there training now with Abel Sanchez at Big Bear, he tweeted out some photos of those guys. He was working with Golovkin and some of the other guys in camp, and he just posted some photos. And just the way the shadows looked and everything else and uh where where Golovkin's trunks were sitting and everything in that photo it made him look pudgy it made him look a little fat so of course you heard a bunch of clickbait bullshit videos on youtube from these stupid youtube channels that a lot of you keep going to for some reason and supporting even though i tell you nonstop it's a waste of your freaking time but i get it sometimes it's fun it's like watching jerry springer or something right i don't even know if jerry springer's still on some of you millennial guys won't even know what the hell that is probably but Yeah, Jerry Springer was a stupid show where they'd have idiots fighting each other on stage and all that, and it was just fun, or or Maury Povich, that kind of shit. Okay, some of those YouTube channels, that's where you guys go to get this stuff. But, of course, they were talking about Golovkin's fat, you know, he's blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? He's eight pounds off weight, and Canelo, for all the Canelo haters, and look, Canelo deserves criticism. He failed two drug tests earlier this year. But for everybody saying that he's gonna show up and now he can't cut weight and the Columbuterali has been using it since he was three years old to cut weight, you know. Well, he's seven pounds off weight. So what does that tell me? That tells me both Golovkin and Alvarez know that this is the biggest fight of their career. It is the best opponent of their career, and this rematch is much, much bigger, especially with all the stuff that took place earlier this year than the first fight. So they're taking this shit about as serious as you can. And that's what I see with these 30-day weigh-ins. All right, let's talk about some fights that are possibly coming up. Real, real quick. Alexander Usyk, Tony Bellew. They're talking about fighting at cruiserweight. Remember when Usyk called out Bellew immediately after a dispatching of Murat Gassiev, who, by the way, has a shoulder injury and probably is going to get surgery on that and be out of the ring for a while, which probably isn't a bad thing. He needs to go back to the drawing board anyway. But anyway, um, Usyk called out Bellu. A lot of people online were saying, oh, well, Tony, you know, he ain't going down to cruiserweight. If they do this fight, it's going to be at heavyweight. Well, apparently if they do this fight, it's going to be at cruiserweight. Because Tony can shed off a few pounds of his little, little tummy that he's got there. He's not a heavyweight. The only reason he went to heavyweight was make some money. He's, he's not going to fight Anthony Joshua or anything like that. He could go down to cruiserweight here, and he could fight for the undisputed cruiserweight championship. Tony Bellew, a guy who has just picked and, cho- and chose the fights, whatever, you know, opportunistic matchmaking to make some quick dollars. Here he could find himself in a fight for the undisputed cruiserweight championship of the world against the number one guy in the cruiserweight division, arguably the best cruiserweight ever already, and one of the top five pound-for-pound fighters in the world, Alexander Usyk. So Eddie Hearn has met with Usyk's people a couple of times already to discuss. I think they're gonna have some more meetings in the next couple of weeks. But I'm starting to think this is a very real possibility. Now, does it happen this year? I don't know about that. Maybe early next year, because if is gonna get down, he needs time to get his weight down. And you, you know Eddie's gonna to wanna to promote the hell out of this thing. And for Usyk and his team, I think the reason why they want it is because it's a brand building exercise in the UK. It's a very winnable fight for them, obviously. But I think long-term, Usyk wants to move up to heavyweight and the guy at heavyweight over the next five years or so is going to be Anthony Joshua. So you start doing business right now with Anthony Joshua's daddy, Eddie Hearn, and you start setting it up with the UK fans. It's smart business on Usyk and his team. So I do think we're gonna see that fight, guys. One more fight I'll talk about real quick. Maurice Hooker, Alex Saucedo. The purse bid, the WBO purse bid for Hooker's 140-pound title, it was won by Top Rank in a bit of a surprise. I thought Eddie Hearn was going to possibly take this because he just signed Maurice Hooker, and he's got this big thing with zone, and he's got all that money. But Top Rank put up the cash. So I think they outbid... uh, Hearn by like over a hundred thousand dollars they put up a little over 1.6 million won it and now this is going to espn and it's going to oklahoma city so hooker is a dallas guy salcedo is a okc guy and there's a rivalry between those two markets between those two states texas and oklahoma and now they're going to bring the dallas guy even though he's the champion quote unquote they're going to bring him up to okc and he's going to fight on the opponent's network so uh, i expect that to be a fun atmosphere there's going to be a lot of dallas okc rivalry stuff happening all throughout fight week you know with the build up to that fight and i mean look i'm not saying it's it's a fight on the magnitude of a canelo golovkin rematch or a Wilder fury or anything like that obviously it's a smaller fight but for oklahoma city fight fans it's a big deal man it might be the biggest damn fight in their city's history at least in a long time how many fights in oklahoma city have you heard of I can't think of one off the top of my head, a major fight in that market. So it's a big deal for them. And it's, it's another smart move by top rank as they continue to build this thing up with, with uh, ESPN. So yeah, again, clickbait bullshit channels that we're talking about, a uh, top rank time buy on ESPN, a la PBC. No, it's not a time buy <laughs> for the millionth time. All right, guys, that's it with news and notes this week. Let's get into the review of what happened around the world last week. Thursday, August 16th, we had another upset in Japan. Japan has had a couple of upset specials this year. In Tokyo, TJ Doheny upsets Ryusuke Iwasa, takes his IBF Super Bantamweight title. And this card was picked up on ESPN Plus. Again, top rank ESPN, not a time buy. Doheny is from Ireland, now based in Australia. He's 31 years old, a Southpaw. And now he's 20-0 at 14 knockouts, and he's a Titleist. Goes over to the Lions' dead in Tokyo. Wins by the scores of 117-112, 116-112, and 115-113. And as I just mentioned a minute ago, this is the second upset special. You know, recently in Japan, Diago Higa was beat uh, earlier this year by Christopher Rosales, who I'll be talking about later on in the review. So uh, a couple of these Japanese guys have taken L's, man. Now, this one really surprised people, particularly a couple of the scores. It felt like this was a 115, 113 kind of fight. And for the quote-unquote foreign guy to come over to Japan and get the 117, 112 score especially, it made a few people kind of scratch their head. But if you look at the activity in this fight and the punch numbers, particularly with the jab, I think that's why Doheny deserved the win. I thought he clearly won this fight. Uh, Big, big win for him. And he takes that title back to Australia. And look, Australia in, in recent years, they've had a couple of guys winning titles. I mean, of course, you had the Jeff Horn thing with Pacquiao. And I still feel Pacquiao won that fight. But there's a there's a bit of a scene building up in Australia. You saw Joseph Parker, technically not from Australia. I get it, but New Zealand. But still, um, he's from that area, right? That region. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a healthy, thriving scene building up in Australia right now. So that's a good thing to see, man. Friday, August 17th, Fantasy Springs Casino, Indio, California. It was another Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2 card. And quite frankly, this was not a very good card. I have to be completely honest, guys. I did not even watch it. So... I can't even really talk about it much other than it happened and it was on ESPN too. Thank goodness it wasn't on ESPN. Saturday, August 18th, Carlos Quadras gets a win in Sinaloa, Mexico. He stays busy and uh, stays in the win column. The big card though was in Windsor Park, Belfast, Northern Ireland. This is a Frank Warren card on BT Sport. i just talked about him, the nicaraguan kid christopher rosales scores a ko4 upset special over patty barnes it was a beautiful right hand to the body he kind of shifted to his side and shot it instead of shooting to the side of the body right to the center of the body right under the rib cage and barnes was opened up for it never really saw it coming if you saw it coming you just didn't react in time and just was crushed from it this was a competitive fight it's not like this was a blowout or a one-sided fight it was very competitive in the early rounds so this was just one of those crushing uh, one punch type of deals that can happen in boxing and that's why I love this damn sport man people talk about the politics all the time uh particularly at the top of the sport with the big big fights I mean you guys remember me being the heated reporter last year at the Canelo Golovkin fight Uh, Just bitching to Bob Bennett about Adelaide Bird and her disgusting scorecard. And there's all kinds of conspiracy theories that both guys laid back and took turns winning rounds so they could set up a rematch and all this stuff. Whether you believe in that shit or not, I don't know. The difference between boxing and literally every other damn sport is that even if there is corruption, even if there is some sort of fix in, you've got a right hand and a left hand. And you can bring those two partners to the party and upset the whole plan with one or both of those hands. And that's what Christopher Rosales did with Patty Barnes. Patty Barnes, uh, been in several Olympics, decorated amateur, and they were going to build this kid up. And I think he still has a future. I think he will rebound from this. But look, this is in Belfast, Northern Ireland. It's Patty Barnes fighting in his first world title opportunity. He was supposed to win. this I'm not saying the fix was in. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, this was set up for him to win. Rosales comes in there, changes the whole damn plan. You think Frank Warren didn't have a plan, an 18 to 24 month plan for this Patty Barnes kid after he was going to win this title? Of course he did. Frank Warren's been around. He knows what he's doing. Rosales comes in, upsets that defends his wbc flyweight title i love it he's probably nicaragua's best fighter right now beat higa in japan in april he's only 23 years old i think he'll be 24 late this year people will look at the record and they'll see he has three losses but you start looking at those losses one was a four-rounder in his third bout that doesn't mean shit. and then one was a decision loss to khalid yafai in sheffield One was a decision loss to Andrew Selby in Cardiff. Both Yafai and Selby are former Olympians, decorated amateurs, guys with a lot of experience. Rosales, not a decorated amateur, not a guy who spent a lot of time in the amateur ranks fighting and learning different styles. He's a guy who's learning on the job as a pro. And guess what? He's learned something from those losses because he's a better damn fighter now. And the biggest thing he's learned is power pays the bills i get it skills pay the bills too but sometimes power can cut through skills and change everything and that's what you saw in this damn fight and by the way that's what you saw in april in this fight against Daigo higa so good on him man i love to see guys like this who come up the hard way learn on the job and show you that just because you have two three losses whatever it is don't mean you're trash Some of you guys pay way too much attention to these O's on dudes' records. Somebody with a couple of losses like this, particularly young in their career, if they're in their early 20s and they don't really have an amateur career to speak of, it don't mean shit. You can learn from it, you can improve from it, you can come back better from it. And that's just what he did. And by the way, I include Patty Barnes in this. I think he does have the amateur pedigree, obviously, but, This loss, again, it's not like he got blown out of the water. This wasn't a head shot, it was a body shot. If if you get caught in the right spot of the body at the right time, there's really nothing you could do. You can have all the punch resistance in the world. If if you get hit and your organs start shutting down and shit starts freezing up down there, you're done. That's it, you're crippled. So I absolutely think he could come back from this. Confidence is gonna be a little shook, but they just need to get him right back in the ring. Frank Warren needs... It's not like this kid got busted up in the face and there's stitches and all. No, this kid needs to be back in the ring again by the end of this year. and needs to be fighting again soon. This is a loss, but I do think he'll rebound from it. For Christopher Rosales, is he the best flyweight in the world right now? I don't know. He might be. I don't know if you rate him number one right now. I don't think you do that, but I'm just saying, all things considered... That seems to be a phrase of this episode i think i've said that a hundred times in this episode already <laughs> um I, i'm just saying this, this dude has some some hard hands he's gone on the road now twice this year and scored big upset wins he's got a title he's defended it he's up there man he's up there also on this card tyson fury unanimous decision over francesco Pianetta. i heard the ring announcer when they were announcing uh this guy he said francesco Pianetta. What the hell was that shit? It's Francesco, fool. Learn how to speak Italian. <laughs> I mean, they could have asked Pianetta. They, unless Pianetta, you know, b- refuses to uh, pronounce his name the way it should be pronounced and he, he wants to be Francesco, it's Francesco. Just to let you guys know. Anyway, Fury 26-0, and 0, 19 knockouts with his uh, whitewash of Pianetta just, you know, dominates all 10 rounds. Is anyone really surprised a lot of people were surprised this went the distance i wasn't at all i tweeted about this during the fight this fight was kind of kind of not exactly but kind of a heavyweight version of when canelo alvarez fought julio cesar chavez jr in that it was just a commercial for the big fight the big event So when Canelo was fighting Chavez, you got the sense that if he really stepped on it in any round, he probably could have knocked Chavez out. But he wanted to get in rounds, play it safe, not get injured, not get cut, because guess what? Gennady Golovkin was there at the fight, and immediately after the fight, they announced the Canelo-Golovkin fight. Same thing here. Tyson Fury really needed the rounds. Super, super, super needed those rounds, right? He's fought now, how how many fights was it against uh, the safari guy? Four, maybe? So he's fought with 14 rounds in the last three years or something. So he needed these rounds really, really bad. And he got them in. He worked on some stuff. He played around a little bit. He just slapped this guy around. Here's the thing about Fury. He does not have elite level heavyweight power. He does not sit down on his punches and try to hurt guys. He just doesn't fight that way he's never KO'd a good heavyweight. Look at this dude's resume. In fact, he's only beat one good heavyweight. He just so happened to be a great heavyweight. But unless you consider Derek Chisora a good heavyweight, and I guess maybe we could put him up there. Maybe he's a a borderline top 10 guy. All right. Other than that, though, who has Fury KO'd? What big, strong, athletic, prime Heavyweight has he KO'd none of them. It's not his style the best fighter. He's legitimately stopped and I'm not talking about like a retirement Stoppage a dude quitting on a stool or the ref coming in or the ring doctor stopping it I'm talking about hurting a dude forcing a ref to stop the fight something like that The best fighter he's ever KO'd was probably Steve Cunningham who is a cruiserweight, right? A natural cruiserweight, so fury just doesn't have power guys and Pianetta was stopped in six rounds by Vladimir Klitschko, KO'd in one round by Ruslan Shagayev, KO'd in the seventh round by Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson can't KO my little sister. He has a 37% KO percentage. He stopped Pianetta. and Tyson Fury couldn't stop him. So that lets you know right there the, the level of Fury's power. Now, do I think he was trying to legitimately get rounds in? Yeah, but I also just think Fury doesn't hit that damn hard. And that's going to play a factor in the Wilder fight. And again, I will do a rant video talking about all that stuff. The truth is about Wilder and Fury, Fury has one really good, credible win, the Vladimir Klitschko win in 2015. And that was a god-awful fight. And again, Vlad wasn't anywhere near 100%, mentally, emotionally, even physically. He wasn't in the best shape of his life. Deontay Wilder has one... Really good quality win, Luis Ortiz. And I told you guys many times, Luis Ortiz wasn't even cleared medically to fight by the New York State Athletic Commission until the morning of the fight against Wilder. These two guys need each other. So I'm glad the fight's happening. In the main event, Carl Frampton, TKO9, Luke Jackson, dropped Jackson in the 8th, and uh, just was busting him up in the ninth round to the corner, stepped in and stopped it, which was the right thing to do. Frampton has an interim featherweight title. He defends it here. He is now technically the mandatory for Josh Warrington. I'll talk about that in a second. Frampton looked great. He looked outstanding. One of the finest overall performances of his career, but it was against a gatekeeper, albeit a tough one. Jackson's tough. He proved he's absolutely tough but he's a gatekeeper at best, a journeyman at worst. He's in that realm. That's the level of fighter he is. So Frampton should look spectacular against a guy like that. His last three fights since the loss to Leo Santa Cruz in the rematch against Santa Cruz for Frampton have been in Belfast. That's smart. So since he lost that rematch to Santa Cruz, and look, I really think that the whole situation with Leo Santa Cruz when Frampton won The rematch should have been in Belfast and I think that the PBC guys really, really ass raped Carl Frampton with the whole way that thing was handled. Al Heyman loves Leo Santa Cruz. Leo named one of his kids after Al. They have a very close relationship. He's one of Al's favorites and the way Frampton got treated in that whole situation was shit, absolute shit. But post Santa Cruz, the rematch, He's kind of aligned himself with this new team, he's with Frank Warren, and his last three fights have been in Belfast, which is really, really smart to build that brand, continue to build that brand. He was always a brand in Belfast. And he's arguably the best fighter from there ever, already. He's probably accomplished more than any fighter from Belfast. If I'm wrong, correct me on that, guys, but I'm pretty damn sure I'd put him up there at number one. So prior to that, to the three fights in Belfast. He was in El Paso, Texas, Manchester, not the Manchester against Quigg, that makes sense, but Brooklyn against Santa Cruz the first time, and then Vegas against Santa Cruz. When again, that rematch should have been in Belfast. So his career right now, this this little uh, post, you know, Morris loss, or uh, not Morris, I'm sorry, Santa Cruz loss, this little, pocket this little timeline of his career right now i think is being handled the right way and i do think the fight with warrington is going to happen next and warrington has a title so technically this will be a a unification and you know what i need to correct myself he's technically the mandatory for oscar valdez right now not josh Warrington. so i'll talk about valdez in a second but warrington has a title so it'd technically be a unification of sorts even though it's an interim title that Frampton has. And people are talking about Warrington is a little bigger, you know, a little taller, a little longer. Frampton's a short guy and Frampton has really short arms. He's just built with short arms. Most boxers have long arms. He has short arms, but he's very athletic. He's one of the better pound for pound, I think, athletes in boxing. I think he's a very underrated athlete with his footwork and his angles and the way he moves and uh, and then the hand speed and all that. Warrington's going to come right to him. Warrington's style, although it's rough and he uses the head, you know, can cause headbutts and everything, Warrington's going to come right at him, and that's going to play right into Frampton's style. Frampton is a natural counterpuncher and a damn good one. He's a very, very good counterpuncher. So I do think Warrington will be a tough, grueling fight, but I favor Frampton. I just think he's levels above Warrington with that skill, the craft, and the experience at the world level, and just the styles. He's a very good counterpuncher. Warrington's going to go right into him and he's not hard to hit. Now, he's the mandatory for Oscar Valdez, who has the full WBO featherweight title. But Valdez busted his damn jaw earlier this year and had to get surgery on it. He's going to be out for the rest of this year. There's no damn way that he's going to go in his first fight back in early 2019 right into a fight with Carl Frampton. So if you're Carl Frampton and you want to stay busy, the fight with Warrington makes sense. That's a big fight over in the UK. Do that fight, whether it's early this year, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, late this year or early next year, 2019, do that fight. I think he wins. If he can get out of that unscathed, if he wins and grabs a title, then you could set up the Oscar Valdez fight. Then the argument begins. Well, Does Valdez go over to the UK? Does Frampton come to America? If I'm Frampton, especially if he fights Warrington and grabs another title, with the the brand that he has over in Belfast, I'm telling Frank Warren to get on the horn with Bob Arum and say, look, we're the A side, we're the brand, you're bringing your guy Valdez over here to Belfast and we'll pay you more money we'll see what happens but if and when that fight does happen if Valdez gets that jaw uh, stitched or not stitched up but healed up and everything's good to go and he gets a little interim tune-up fight early next year and then we see uh, Frampton dispatch Warrington grab that title and we see a Frampton Valdez fight particularly look if it's in Belfast that's going to be an amazing atmosphere If it comes to the States and goes to the StubHub Center, that's going to be an amazing atmosphere. Wherever they decide to do it, that's going to be a hell of a damn fight that I think we're going to see within the next 12 months. So if you can't get hyped up about that potential fight, you're not a damn boxing fan. All right, let's bring it over here to the States, where in Atlantic City, in the Ocean Resort Casino, it's the second Atlantic City card in recent weeks. And we saw the one on HBO with uh, Kovalev and Alvarez in the main event uh, a few weeks back. And now this was another top rank on ESPN card. So Atlantic City getting some action here, which is good. I like that for the East Coast scene to get some more fights out here. In the co-main, Jesse Hart, the Philly kid, scores a TKO 3 win over Mike Gavronsky, a tough guy, but a guy who had absolutely no business being in the ring with Jesse Hart. He dropped him twice in the third round and then uh, the ref called it off. Gavronsky was in bad shape in no condition to continue. Hart is now 3-0 and with three knockouts. And that's important. Not just 3-0, and just going through the motions, winning decisions. No, man. 3-0, three statement knockouts since that competitive loss to Gilberto Zerto Ramirez last September. Now, it's been against poor opposition his three wins have been against very poor opposition but guess what he dispatched of all three of them in style Zerto has fought twice since he fought Hart against very limited opposition and he ain't getting stoppages he ain't scoring highlight not highlight reel but just definitive knockout stoppage type wins that make statements Hart is so guess what at this particular point in time, even though I think Zerdo is the better fighter and quite possibly the best super middleweight out there, I'd rather watch Jesse Hart because he's fighting with his heart. And I think he's deserving of a rematch with Ramirez. Ramirez doesn't have to give him one. There's no obligation, but who the hell, who else are they gonna fight, man? He didn't go in the Super Six Tournament, or the Super Six, the uh, World Boxing Super Series Tournament. I understand why Top Ring didn't want to make that move. Like, I get it. But you have a guy, Jesse Hart, who's been fighting on ESPN now. What, his last four fights, I think, have been on ESPN. He's been building a brand. They've kept him busy. He's been calling out Ramirez. So you put Ramirez in a fight against Hart, a rematch on ESPN. I think it'll do numbers. It just makes sense. It's time to make that damn fight. And I really think they can make it late this year. Why wait until next year, man? It's only August. Make that shit in November or December. Do it somewhere on the East Coast and make it happen. Because I know I want to see it. And I know a lot of you out there want to see it. And these guys have been on ESPN, particularly Hart, who's been entertaining on ESPN. I think it'll move the needle a little bit. Again, I'm not saying this is a huge fight. It's a smaller level fight. I get it. But for diehard fight freaks, it's going to be fun. They need to make this shit happen. They need to make it happen now. In the main event, Bryant Jennings, TKO 9 win over Alexander Dimitrenko. Jennings was down in the fourth round. Dimitrenko down twice in the eighth. I thought that second knockdown in the eighth may have been a screw up by the ref. I didn't see a punch I saw more of a push. Either way, two knockdowns in the eighth. And then dropped once in the ninth with a disgustingly ridiculous, Ridiculously premature stoppage. I thought referee Alan Huggins just did not perform well. I think he was jumping in too much. He was uh, interrupting with the fighters too much, not letting them work out of uh, clinches and, and awkward little things that were happening between them. Let them work, man. These are big dudes. I t- I've told you guys this a million times. When, when you got two heavyweights, and I understand, Bryant Jennings in, in current boxing uh landscape isn't a huge heavyweight but Dimitrenko is and Jennings is still a 6'3 240 pound guy maybe 220 something these are big dudes you make one or two athletic moves and you're tangled that's heavyweight boxing if you guys don't like that shit then you don't like heavyweight boxing that's the way it's been since the beginning with the heavyweights so let them fight out of it now Dimitrenko was doing some holding and clinching. Yeah, you got to break that shit up. But there were times when they were holding and clinching a little bit, but still kind of working, particularly Jennings, who was getting off some nice uppercuts. And I kept seeing this damn ref, Alan Huggins, jump in and just get get after these guys. And it's like, man, they got a free hand. Let these dudes work a little bit. These are big boys. They're not going to bounce around on the outside like like flyweights all night. Let them get a little work in when they're in there. anyway. Jennings is now 5-0, oh, four knockouts, since his two losses to Klitschko and Luis Ortiz in 2015. The first four opponents of this five-fight run were nobodies. But this fifth opponent, Dimitrenko, is a schooled veteran fighter. He's not a top 10 heavyweight, but he's a top 20, maybe even, maybe even top 15 heavyweight. <clears throat> and he's been in there with a lot of guys and he does have an amateur background. He's a schooled boxer and a big guy. So this is a good quality win for Jennings. But real quick, let me talk about the stoppage. Jennings lands a monster uppercut, and I get it. He had hurt Dimitrenko in the eighth round. He had put him down legitimately once. It kind of softened him up and pushed him down a second time. He had him hurt. In the very next round, lands an uppercut, immediately sends Dimitrenko to the ground. Dimitrenko had leaned in at an odd angle. Jennings made a proper shift. He was in the proper place and he threw the right punch at the right time. Dimitrenko goes down. Before the dude's butt hit the canvas, Huggins, the ref, was waving it off. Just did not even look at the fighter's face, did not look at his eyes. And if you go to a commission training seminar and I've been to him The first thing they tell refs, even in the amateurs, look the fighter in the eye. You'll see when they count, they'll hold their hand up and count with their hand, right? They'll give you one finger, two fingers, three, as they're saying, one, two, three. So you you give the fighter a visual and, and an audio. You know, you say the count and you actually mime it with your hand. So you're giving the fighter a couple different ways to receive the count. And you look them in the eye and you assess the way they look he didn't do that so to me it just screamed of a guy who was looking for a reason to stop the fight and i didn't see a brutal type of fight where Dimitrenko is getting beat up that needed to be stopped like that that's just not what i saw what i saw was jennings who was the better man after the first four or five rounds this was an even fight but after that point from the fifth round on he was starting to separate himself and really, really um, have his way in there and control the fight. But I saw a fight that was likely going the distance or possibly Jennings was going to catch Dimitrenko again and drop him again decisively, where Dimitrenko struggled to get up and wobbled and looked bad, and that would force the ref to stop it. But for him to jump in and just stop this thing, Back up to that, what round was it? The fourth round where Jennings was down. Had the ref jumped in and stopped it right there, he would have robbed Jennings of a chance to come back and win this fight. And that's why, look, not all premature stoppages are created equal. I understand. Being a ref, being a judge, sometimes it is a very hard job because you're making decisions in a split second that involve the health of another human being. So you, in a in sense, you have the life of another human being in your hands. Well, two human beings. So I get that. But you have to at least look the dude in the eyes and just assess the damage. You can't just jump off and wave off a fight like that in a fight where both guys had gotten off the canvas and fought back. They didn't get up off the canvas and look to survive. Or just pity pat or hold. They got off the canvas and threw punches. Jennings was going to win the fight regardless. Whether it went all 12 or whether he stopped Dimitrenko in the 9th, 10th, 11th round, whatever. I just hate that damn stoppage. And it's another example of a ref screwing something up. And ultimately, yes, it robs the fans. It robs a lot of people. But it robs Jennings more than anybody. Because instead of people talking about him getting off the canvas to come back and win a fight against an experienced, schooled heavyweight, we're talking about the damn ref. And real quick, the ESPN commentary crew, I thought was piss poor. And I've played Mr. Nice Guy with some of this shit, but I'm just going to go ahead and put some of this out there. Some of these guys that are getting these jobs on the ESPNs, the Zones, the Facebook watches, whatever it is, they have network contacts. They have agents that can make phone calls. A lot of these guys have the same agents that superstar actors have, because some of these agents now represent athletes and sports figures and stuff, media figures as well now. And it's, it's just a damn business. There are guys and girls, because a lot of the females that I see getting jobs are getting jobs more so for their looks than their boxing knowledge, because there are a lot of females in this business that know what they're talking about and have a lot of experience that should be getting these jobs. I'm just seeing some of these guys getting these network commentary jobs that don't need to be doing it. I'm just gonna put it out there, including some former fighters. I know it's good to have a former fighter in there to give you that fighter perspective, but Andre Ward, and you guys know, I've had my uh, my issues with Andre, you know, our little back and forth and all that, fine. But for Andre Ward, who's been in there and been a part of some very controversial stoppages, including the last fight of his career, to say that, to, to defend the ref, and he actually argued with Timothy Bradley. Timothy Bradley, he criticized the stoppage. And I don't know if you guys saw, it was a little, it was a few minutes after the fight. Bradley went up to the booth with, Ward and they both talked to the new guy ESPN hired who I've never heard of before uh who I just saw on this card for the first time but he was talking to him about it and Ward defended the stoppage and of course he talked about the Sergei Kovalev thing and he took the rematch with Kovalev because uh you know because that's just how he is because they were talking about their you know possible rematch between Zerdo and Jesse Hart and you know ward didn't you know failed to mention that the real reason he took the damn rematch is because he was butt raping rock nation sports with a massive payday a a career defining life-changing payday a, a purse that dwarfed any other purse he had ever made including the first Kovalev fight that's why he took the damn rematch and he took his damn time and changed changed terms of the contract for the rematch didn't bring none of that shit up He just was able to sit there in front of that podium and talk about that kind of stuff. And no one was there to check him. And when Bradley checked him a little bit on the stoppage, saying, I don't know about that stoppage, man, blah, blah, blah. Ward defended it and said that, you know, Dimitranco was done. And they had talked the whole broadcast about Dimitranco a quitter. Well, the dude got up off the canvas three times and bitched to the ref when he stopped the fight. I didn't see a guy trying to quit. So I I just thought there was just screw-ups all around, from the ref to the ESPN commentary crew. Some of these guys, they could just do a better job. And the the powers that be in boxing, you're taking these new endeavors. I appreciate that you're doing streaming. I appreciate you're going on to apps. I appreciate that you're going on to social media. That is going to market to the younger fan base. But people now more than ever in sports and entertainment, can see through bullshit. Millennials bullshit detectors are very good compared to generations past because there's this thing called the internet. There's this thing called fact checking. People, now most people are too lazy to do it, but most people can go back and do research and check on things now. They can find out if someone's lying or misrepresenting the truth in some way, twisting the truth. You can't have these older dudes on there that are just going to talk shit and say whatever the hell they want to say. Or in the case of Joe Tessitore, who I really like, Mark Kriegel, who I'm not a huge fan of, and Timothy Bradley, who I like as a human being. And he is getting better as a commentator. But those three guys, after Jennings was down in the fourth round, none of them failed to mention that after the fourth round, Dimitrenko was ahead in that fight. Because it was two rounds apiece after the first four rounds, and he had a knockdown after the fifth round that Jennings won, it was an even fight. Jennings had won three rounds, Dimitrenko two with the knockdown, the one point difference. That was an even fight after five rounds. They didn't even mention that. This was a come from behind win for Bryant Jennings and none of the commentary crew mentioned that once. I just thought it was just a a bad performance, man, overall. And and from guys, several of them that I rather like. And it's not the first time I've seen it. So It's just frustrating because I know I could go in there right now and do a better damn job than some of these guys. If that sounds arrogant, sue me. You guys know I'm a humble dude. When I screw something up, I admit it. But I know I could go in there and do a better job than these guys. But I'm not going to suck dick. I'm not going to play the corporate games. I'm not going to do favors. So it is what it is, man. All right, my little rant's over there. Sunday, August 19th in the Russia, several Russian prospects in various divisions, remained undefeated on a card loaded up with just uh, prospects from that part of the world. All right, guys, that was it for last week. Let's preview what we got coming up this week. This Friday, August 24th, from Salinas, California, or I'm sorry, from Corona, California, Thompson Boxing is putting on another card featuring a prospect, a featherweight prospect out of Salinas California 21 years old Southpaw uh, fighting headlining that card so be sure to check that out Of course you guys know Thompson always streams and their streams never fail unlike some other streams We've seen lately so check that one out. Also from Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's PBC on FS1 Fox Sports 1 Willie Monroe jr. Is fighting Emmanuel Alim in the main event And local fighters, Jamal James, who is a welterweight, and Caleb Truax, a super middleweight from the uh, Minneapolis area, they will be on that card as well. Saturday, August 25th, there is a Real Deal Sports card, that's Evander Holyfield's uh, promotional outfit, uh, working in, uh, I think it's a cross promotion with a local Canadian promoter. They're doing a card up in Toronto. For the life of me, I don't understand what the hell Evander Holyfield is doing with this real deal sports and entertainment thing. I understand that he's got a million people in his ear and they are wanting to do things out of New York. They do cards in Kentucky. They do cards. This one's in Toronto. They're all over the place, but dude is from Atlanta. This is a top 10 market, a big entertainment market, a big sports market. The demographics are perfect and evander holyfield doesn't bring shows down to atlanta i just don't get it anyway if you guys want to check that out in toronto you got some action coming this saturday the only televised card here in the states on saturday is another top rank on espn card again it's not a time buy this is in glendale arizona a suburb of phoenix arizona in the main event Raimundo beltran fighting Jose Pedraza. This is the first defense of Beltran's WBO lightweight title that he won back in February. I think it was a vacant title he won in February. This is that first defense. And for Beltran, this is his first fight in his adopted hometown of Phoenix since 2004. This is another guy, obviously, who's come up the hard way and, uh, you know, had a lot of back and forth. He's had some issues. He's gotten in some trouble. But, um, you know, he has that title and this is not a layup defense, man. Pedraza knows how to fight. He's 2-0 since his loss to Javante Davis back in 2017. And just stylistically and size wise matches up very well with Veltron. It's also a Puerto Rican versus Mexican. So I expect there to be fireworks. I think this will definitely be one to check out, guys. If you got nothing going on Saturday night, I understand that this isn't a huge, huge, huge fight, but I do think stylistically it's going to, it's going to work. It's going to be fun and it's going to be interesting to see if Beltran can pack the house there in Glendale, Arizona. Also the winner of this fight is likely to face Vasya Lomachenko in early December in Los Angeles, probably at the forum. So Lomachenko is preparing to, they hope it's going to be Beltran. That's what. Bob Arum would like, but even if it's Pedraza, you're going to see Lomachenko fight them probably at the Forum in LA in December. And that will be, of course, be a unification fight. I think, uh, which one does Lomachenko have? I think he's got the WBA and this is the WBO. So it'll be a unification fight. So this fight matters. It's building to something. Another reason to check it out. In the co-main, Isaac Dogbo, one of my favorite little fighters right now, Going up against a Japanese veteran, Hidenori Otake. Hidenori Otake. Hope I got that right. First defense of Dogbo's WBO Super Bantamweight title that he won in April off Jesse Magdaleno in a great performance stopping Magdaleno. Otake has fought outside of Japan only once before. He fought Scott Quigg in 2014 and dropped a, a fairly wide, decisive, unanimous decision. But this dude's never been dropped, He's never been hurt and you know what I always say about Japanese fighters they mean business they are they are tough as hell they come over here and even if they take Ls it's not an easy night at the office right think Yoshihiro Kamagai and guys like that these Japanese dudes man they will fight to the death seriously Otake is listed as 5 foot 7 Dogbo's only 5 foot 2 Otaki's 37 years old, but he's uh, kind of learned on the pro, or learned on the job as a pro, Did not have an amateur career, not much of one anyway. So he does have some early losses in his career, and or, I'm sorry he's got the one loss to Quigg uh, quig and everything else. But he's learned on the job, right? And he is a veteran, He's skilled. Um, he's been in there with top guys like a quig, 12 rounds with him. It's going to teach you something and he's a lot taller. So Dogbo is only five foot two, 23 years old. I expect youth to have its way, but this is not gonna be an easy night at the office for Isaac Dogbo. So both Ray Beltran and Isaac Dogbo are obviously the A-sides in these two fights. They're supposed to win, but they have two tough assignments Saturday night. And that's why I'm gonna be watching this card. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. All right, guys, let me know what you think. Thanks for listening to my ranting and raving. And look out for my Tyson Fury uh, Deontay Wilder rant video. I'll be doing that later in the week. In the meantime, remember my damn fee. Don't make me come after you and hit you for not paying up. Go to iTunes and give me a rating. And it better be five stars. All right, guys, see you at the fights.